Let's open our Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17 tonight. Deuteronomy chapter 17. As you're turning there, let me uh, just briefly make a couple of announcements. This Sunday, we do have missionary Matthew Hanna uh, and his wife Marla, who are going to be with us. Uh, they've been missionaries in uh, Thailand for a number of years, and they're back in the States on furlough. In fact, uh, they are kind of in transition right now. They believe the Lord would have them uh, move into a different ministry, and they're seeking the Lord's will about that. But they're going to be here this Sunday uh, giving us a report, and we're looking forward to having them. As a part of that, we're going to have a finger food fellowship after the evening service on Sunday night, so you can be thinking about some food to share and enjoy that time together. And that will give us an opportunity to kind of rub shoulders with the Hannahs a little more. I've personally uh, never had the privilege of meeting them, just know of them through our uh, missions ministry, so I'm looking forward to, uh, to having them with us as well. And also our worker training uh, that's at the end of this month on the 27th, that's Saturday. Uh, everybody should have gotten an email about that, um, and that is for all of our children's workers. It is mandatory for our children's workers uh, and highly encouraged for our safety team members as well. And even if you're not currently a part of that, um, if you are interested in being a part of that in the future, uh, going through our training is, is very important. So feel free to sign up. Uh, we do need you to sign up not only so we know how many, uh, how many bags of Lifesavers to buy so we can put those on the table, but most importantly uh, for your Chick-fil-A lunch that day, all right? Uh, this year, Chick-fil-A gave us a lot more options, so there's about six different lunch choices there. Make sure you sign up and tell us what you, uh, which lunch you would like, and uh, we'll, make, we'll get all of that taken care of. So if you did not get that email or if you are, uh, for whatever reason, not getting regular communications from the church, just let me know, and uh, we'll see if we can't figure out what the problem is and get that taken care of so you can be in the loop. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 17 and we're going to be looking at three verses of Scripture tonight, verses 18, 19, and 20. Uh, but before we read these verses, let me give you just a little bit of context. At the time that God gave the Old Testament law, Israel was a theocracy. They did not have a king. They didn't have a president. God ruled them directly through his appointed leader, who was Moses at the time. But God knew that there would come a day when the Israelites would not be content with that system of government and that they would demand that God give them a king. And so God, in his wisdom and in his mercy, included instructions in the Old Testament law for the future kings of Israel. We find those instructions here in Deuteronomy 17. And included in these instructions were details about the role that God's word was to play in the life of those kings. So look with me now at verse 18. Follow along as I read through verse 20. And it shall be when he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom that he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes, to do them, that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren, and that he turn not aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, 
to the end that he may prolong his days and his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. So according to these verses, every king of Israel was supposed to write out his own copy of scripture, to keep it with him and to read in it every single day. And by doing this, he would know how to fear God and how to follow his instructions. And he could lead the kingdom in the way that God wanted. And the result would be prosperity, not only for himself and his children, but also for the nation. Now, the principles that we find in these verses are universal in their application. I understand that nobody in here tonight is the monarch of a nation. Sorry to burst your bubble. But we do have certain privileges as Christians. Those of us who know Christ as our Savior are called kings and priests unto God in Revelation 1 and verse number 6, for instance. And it is just as important for us as it was for the kings of Israel that God's word play a central role in our lives. The precepts and the principles of the Bible are just as beneficial for us as they were for those Old Testament kings. The Bible is not just a book for kings. It is a book written by the king of kings for all people. By making application of the truths that we see in these verses to our lives, by reading the Bible for ourselves, by following its teachings, we too can enjoy the blessings of the king's book. Notice with me, number one, we're going to look at the five steps that are outlined in these verses that we can take in order to experience the same blessings. Number one, first step is to procure it personally. If you want to be blessed by the king's book, you need to start by procuring it personally. That's the first step toward enjoying the benefits of the Bible. Now, let's rewind a few thousand years here, go back to Moses' day, and put ourselves in the context of what's being said here. Back in that time, they did not have printing presses. They didn't have laser jet printers. They didn't even have inkjet printers. They didn't even have dot matrix printers. Some of you know what those are. Some of you will read about them in your history books when you get into high school. They could not download a Bible app onto their tablets because while their tablets were wireless, they had to be engraven. Come on, work with me here. I'm trying. God commanded the kings to produce their own copy, and in order for that to happen, it had to be handwritten. They had to write out word for word the law of God for themselves. Notice what verse number 18 says. It says, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests and Levites. So he was to borrow a copy from the temple and he was to produce his own with his own hands. He could not hire someone to do it for him. He could not purchase a copy already written. He, the king, had to produce his own copy. Now, the benefit of this was that they would become extremely familiar with the law through that process. 
of producing their own copy by hand. Your next blank there, the multi-sensory exercise would help them learn and retain the content of scriptures. There was great wisdom in what God was doing here, not only because of the impracticality of producing copies, but also because by the king going through the physical process, he would be taking in the word of God in a way that would be very beneficial to him. Now, thankfully, God has not commanded us to reproduce our own copy of scripture by hand because that would be a very daunting task. There are approximately 783,000 words in the King James Version of the Bible. An average person writing at 22 words per minute would take approximately 35,590 minutes or 590 hours or about, if you're writing six hours a day, 100 working days to produce your own copy. That would take a long time. Praise the Lord for Gutenberg in the printing press, right? We can now purchase our own copy of the Bible for just a few dollars or just download it for free on one of our devices. So since mass producing of Scripture didn't exist in Bible times, there's actually very little mention of physical copies of the Bible in the Bible. There are a few instances here and there that we can surmise uh, where we're talking about physical copies. For instance, Paul asked Timothy to bring him his books, and he said, especially the parchments. It's possible that those were Paul's personal copies of Scripture, but we can't say for sure. Paul told Timothy to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, and to doctrine. And it would not be a stretch to deduce that reading the Bible was included in that, and for that to happen, Timothy would have needed access to his own physical copy. But for his, if, if we really put ourselves in that position, it's hard for us to imagine a world where owning a book of any kind was rare and very expensive. Most of us have multiple copies of the Bible for every member of our house. I, I have never seen, and maybe somebody's done this, I just haven't found it yet, but I would love to see someone do a survey of how many copies of the Bible the average Christian home in America has. I know that in our house we probably have 20 or more. I mean, we just have so much access to Scripture. But with that, there's a danger. And the danger is that we take it for granted. For that reason, here's your next blank, we must apply the principle of Deuteronomy 17, 18. Not the command specifically, but the principle here, and be intentional about obtaining our personal copies of the Bible. And that word intentional in the blank there, I think should be our emphasis, that we are intentional about Scripture. And I think there is something to be said for being intentional about our physical copies of the Bible that we have. Now, I'm a fan of having multiple copies of Scripture for various uses. Uh, I myself have five copies of the Bible that I can just think of right off the top of my head uh, that uh, I have used or am currently using. I have uh, what I would consider my main Bible that I use mostly for personal devotions and I preach out of it. I have a smaller Bible that I use when I go on visitation. For example, I have a couple of study Bibles that I've used in the past. I'm a fan of having multiple copies, but I do believe there's something beneficial about having that main copy of Scripture that is your Bible. 
There's something special about having a Bible of your own. And let me, let me just encourage you, if you don't have your own Bible, get a Bible and make it your own. Number two, to benefit from the king's book, you need to prize its possession. Prize, P-R-I-Z-E, its possession. If you look at our text here, once the king had made his copy of the law, God said that it was, quote, to be with him. That's significant. That may just seem like a little little uh, phrase there stuck in the verse, but it's actually very important. It was not intended to be a decoration or a part of a collection. It was to be a personal prized possession that he had easy access to at all times. It's to be an important book in his life. You're following blank. The Bible is a special book, and how you view the Bible should reflect that. In other words, it is special. It is precious. It is valuable. And that's how you should view it. So how valuable is the Bible to you? I would guess that if you had to hand copy the Scripture and you spent 600 hours doing it, you would probably be, probably be a pretty protective of that copy. Probably would. The psalmist said, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Job said, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Think about those verses. If you had a literal bag of gold, would you leave it sitting on the dash of your car from Sunday night to Sunday morning? If so, let me know. I'm going to come by your house in the middle of the night and check. No. If you had a literal bag of gold, you would be very protective of that. Job said more than my necessary food. When you go get groceries, what do you do with those when you bring them home? Well, you put them away where they go. Cold stuff in the fridge, food in the pantry. You're going to put it somewhere where it's not going to spoil well, let me ask you a question. Should God's word be treated worse than food or money? Certainly not. It should be treated better. But let me be careful to make the distinction between how we treat the Bible physically, which I think is an important thing, and how we treat the Bible spiritually, which is most important. The physical is merely an indication of the spiritual, and it's possible to respect the paper and the leather that God's words are printed on while disrespecting and disregarding the truth contained in it. Your next blank. The best way to encourage the use of something is to make it easy to use. The world understands this. That's why they're always trying to make smartphones smarter and smarter so that people will use them. Because so they want it easy. Sometimes they go overboard. And you think to yourself, this computer is not as nearly as smart as it thinks it is. It's like office copiers. I don't understand why in the world the people that program these things think they know so much. They do not know how I want to copy this piece of paper. I know how I want to copy this piece of paper. Please stop arguing with me, Mr. Copier. Okay. Now that I got that out of my system... <laughs> If you want to encourage the use of something, make it easy to use. Why did God 
tell the king to have the Bible, his copy of Scripture, with him. It's so that he would have easy access to it, so he could read it frequently, so he could reference it quickly. And over time, he would get more and more familiar with it. He would be able to recall its truth without having to always rely upon the physical copy. And if we truly view Scripture as a prized possession, then we should familiarize ourselves with Scripture by reading it, memorizing it, meditating on it, so that it makes its way into our innermost being, so that it becomes so close to us, we can truly say it's in our hearts. Like the psalmist said, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, unlike some prized possessions that rarely get used, the purpose of possessing the Bible is to use it constantly. Some of you may be collectors of certain things, and, and in, you know there are some things you collect, and, and they go in a display case, and the only time you ever touch them is when you're doing maintenance or cleaning or something like that. You don't get it out. You don't mess with it a lot. It's, it's part of a collection. and It's valuable to you, but not useful. See, the scripture is of the highest value, but it is also of the highest usefulness to us. And so that is why God commanded the kings of Israel to take their copies of the law. And the next step was to read therein all the days of his life. Number through, number through, <laughs> number three. You need to peruse its pages. You're going to benefit from the king's book. You need to peruse its pages. Having a physical copy of the Bible does not do you any good if you don't read it. The only way for the physical copy of the Bible to do a spiritual work, that's the word in the blank there, is to take in the words that it contains by reading it for yourself. God did not want this king to write out his own copy and put it next to him on the throne there and let it gather dust. No, he had to read in it all the days and every day of his life. It does no good to have a pristine copy of the Bible that you never read. I think it was D.L. Moody that said, a Bible that is falling apart belongs to a Christian that is not. It's a pretty good thought. That is, if it's falling apart because it's been used, it's been read, it's been thumbed through, it's been searched regularly. Now, if it's falling apart because you were always throwing it around and you left it under the seat of the car and the windows were down and it got rained on and it's because you mistreated your copy, well, then that's a different story. The point is, is that we've got to get into the book and let the book get into us. The Bible is not a good luck charm that earns you points with God because you have a copy of it on your coffee table. You must read the Bible. Did you know Jesus was an advocate of personal Bible reading? He said in John chapter 5, verse 39, Search the Scriptures, for in them you think that you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. When he walked along the road to Emmaus with the two disciples after his resurrection, the Bible says that he expounded unto them all, in all the Scriptures 
the things concerning himself. The Holy Spirit declared that the people in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. They searched the scriptures daily. Put it on do not disturb and it decided to disturb me. Paul wrote this in Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 2 Timothy 2.15 says we're supposed to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Over and over again we are admonished to read, study, and meditate on the Bible. One of the best disciplines that you can establish is a habit of daily Bible reading. Your next blank, the kings of Israel were commanded to read their copies daily. The Bereans were commended for searching the scripture daily. So let me ask you, is there any harm in reading the Bible every day? Is there any danger in that? So why not make it a goal for yourself that you're going to read some of the Bible every single day? Now, if you miss a day, that's okay. Just pick back up the day, the next day. And when you read it, don't just read it to check off a box on your to-do list and say, okay, I did that. And don't imagine that just because you do check that box every day that you're going to become some kind of a super Christian. We have to read the Bible intentionally to understand it with the purpose of doing what it says. Step number four. To benefit from the king's book, we need to practice its precepts. We need to practice its precepts. Look back at verse number 19 here, Deuteronomy 17. God was clear that the reason the king was to read in his copy of the law every day was so that he would, here's the, here's the phrase, Learn to fear the Lord his God to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. So the reason for regularly reading the Bible is twofold. First of all, we need to learn how to relate to God properly. That's what it means to fear the Lord. As you read through the Bible you will learn more about God and how worthy He is of your ultimate respect. A proper view of God is crucial to have a proper view of everything else in life. You learn to take God seriously when you get into the Word and you see God in the Word of God. And fearing the Lord in that way is the beginning of all true wisdom. Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the holy is understanding. You know, the Bible is much more than a how-to book. There's a lot of how-tos in it. There's a lot of instructions. There's a lot of principles, but it's much more than that. It is a personal revelation of God to us. The King of Kings wrote this book so that we could know Him. If 
All we see when we read the Bible is a list of do's and don'ts. If that's all we take away from Scripture, we're missing the big picture. God wants us to know Him better. And the way that we get to know God better is through the Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. 2 Peter 3 and verse number 8, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We get into the word. We grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know God better. Now, according to verse number 20, there's a link here between verses 19 and, and 20 here. That, and the link is this. Learning to fear the Lord would ensure that the, of the king that his heart be not lifted up above his brethren. See that, that phrase there? When you have a proper view of God, it keeps you humble. If you have a prideful heart, it's because you don't have a proper view of God. A proper view of God keeps you humble. When you see God for who he really is, you cannot help but see yourself for who you really are. When Isaiah saw God high and lifted up, and he saw the vision of God on his throne, he declared, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. So the first reason to read the Bible is to learn how to relate to God properly, to learn to fear the Lord, and that will keep us humble. The second reason for reading the Bible regularly, your next blank, is to follow its instructions to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. The Bible does contain many do's and don'ts. They are given by God so that we might know how he wants us to live and thus how it is best to live. God didn't give us these instructions just because, well, for any flippant reason, he wanted us to know what was best he wrote it for our good, for our benefit. And when we do what God says and we don't do what God says don't do, we find that God's way is indeed the best way. The thing is, we do not naturally know how to live the best way. We think we do, but sin has corrupted us. And so we need our thinking changed. We need our behavior changed. And the Bible is the agent for that change. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. As we get into the word of God, we learn what God wants us to do and what God doesn't want us to do. And our behavior can come in line with that. Now, if you are reading the Bible regularly and not changing then you're doing something wrong. Turn over to the book of James for a minute. Keep your finger in Deuteronomy if you'd like because we'll be right back there in a moment. But let's look in James chapter 1 where James makes it clear how the Bible should change us. James chapter 1. Look at verse 22. 
says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. For if any man be a hearer of the word, or we could substitute the word reader here, talking about taking in the word of God. If you be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass, in a mirror, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Don't think that just because you read the Bible that you're good. If you're not doing what it says, then it's not benefiting you at all. You have to obey it. You have to practice its precepts. And again, we see a link here to what's said in verse 20, that when the king was keeping the law consistently, he would not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left. Following God's commandment is what keeps you on the right path. It's how you keep from wandering, from deviating from God's best and from the path that God wants you to be on. God wants you to obey his word. By doing that, you stay on the straight path. 1 John 5, 3 says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. His commandments are not grievous. And finally, Roman numeral 5, this is the last step, and really this is the conclusion of benefiting from the king's book. Number 5, prosper through your practice. Prosper through your practice. Let's look back at Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse number 20. And notice the conclusion of this portion of scripture here. It says, to the end, so here's the purpose, here's the goal, here's the ultimate result, to the end that he may prolong his days in his kingdom. He and his children in the midst of Israel. Especially in Bible times, long life was a sign of God's blessing. And it's not just saying that he would live a long but miserable life, but a long and good life is the idea here. The blessing of reading and obeying the law would be not only to the king, but to those around him and extending even to the kingdom. He would personally benefit, but so would his children and, and everyone whose life he touched when we practice the precepts of God's word, we find that we prosper through our practice too. There is great value in reading and obeying scripture. Your next blank, by fearing the Lord and following God's instructions, you can live life the way God designed it to be lived. Life works best when you do it God's way. God, God has put into the heart of every person a basic understanding of what works best and what is therefore God's way. It's called the conscience. And that's why the world is always trying this and trying that and not being satisfied with this and not being satisfied with that because they're trying to make life work, but they're looking in all the wrong places to try and make it work. Life only works correctly when it's lived God's way. And that means living it according to the Bible. Joshua 1.8, the Bible says, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe 
to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. This is the only place in our Bibles where the word success is used. And it is used in the context of knowing what God's word says and doing it. There's a great danger to those of us who've been safe and in church for a long time that we have a an overabundance of knowledge and an underabundance of obedience. It's not just enough to know. You have to do. But when you know and when you do what God says, God blesses and you prosper. Now, reading and obeying the Bible will not make you immune to problems. Understand that. This is not some health and wealth, prosperity, gospel, heresy, that if you'll just do this and this, you'll never have any more problems. No, the truth is life is still going to be full of problems because we live in a world affected by sin. But when you know and when you do what God says, you can safely navigate through the problems of life. And you have a peace and joy and satisfaction when you fear God and you follow Him regardless of the troubles that are around you. I want you to look with me at one more passage of Scripture, if you would. 2 Kings 22. Here we find a story of an actual king in Israel. This is many years after Deuteronomy chapter 17, hundreds of years. It's after Saul, it's after King David, it's after Solomon, it's after the kingdom is split. And in 2 Kings 22, we read the story of a king in Judah named Josiah. Josiah was just eight years old when he became king. When he was 26 years old, he got a burden to restore the temple. So he ordered that the temple be cleansed and that the temple be restored. And as the workers were going through cleaning out and restoring the temple, they discovered the book of the law hidden among the refuse of the temple. For years, it had been neglected, possibly even generations. And they found it, and they declared, we have found the book of the law. But if it was hidden there, then we can conclude several things about King Josiah. At 26 years old, he'd been king for 18 years. But in all that time, he had never seen this book, much less read it, much less made his own copy of it. And so they began to read the book of the law to the king. And as they read it, they discovered that the reason the nation had been judged so severely was that they had turned from God to idol worship and Josiah was frightened and he was heartbroken. And so he cried out to God for mercy and God responded. Look at verses 19 and 20 of 2 Kings 22. And let's read God's response to King Josiah when he responded to God's word properly. God says, Because thine heart was tender, 
and thou hast humbled thyself before the Lord when thou heardest what I spake against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, that they should become a desolation and a curse, and hast rent thy clothes and wept before me, I also have heard thee, saith the Lord. Behold, therefore, I will gather thee unto thy fathers, and thou shalt be gathered into thy grave in peace. And thine eyes shall not see all the evil which I will bring upon this place. And they brought the king word again. When Josiah read the Bible, he learned to fear God and follow God's instructions. He humbled himself and he obeyed. He did not turn from the commandment at this time. And the result was God's mercy and blessing on the king and the whole kingdom. When we fear God and follow his instructions, we too will prosper through our practice of God's precepts. You know, it used to be that only kings and the very wealthy could even afford to have books. Some books would cost the equivalent of an entire year's salary. They were so expensive to produce. But thankfully, that's not the case any longer. Because the Bible is not a book just for kings. It is a book that the king of kings has given to the world so that all might know him, so that we might be saved from our sins, so that we might live a life that honors him. Your Bible is special. And it should be precious to you. Read it. And you will learn to fear God, follow his instructions. And when you do, God will bless your life too. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us a book. And in it, you have shown us yourself. We also see ourselves for who we really are. And we learn about your love and your mercy and how we can be forgiven of our sin and have a relationship with you and how we can live a life that glorifies you and a life that benefits us because it's a life that you bless. Lord, this book is a precious book like no other. And I pray that our hearts would be encouraged tonight to read the Bible, to make it a point to read the Bible every single day so that we might fear you and follow your instructions and that we might enjoy that life that is blessed. Lord, we thank you that as our King of Kings, you have given us this book. And I pray these things in Jesus' name.